0: All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Exchange podcast. This is your host, Kristen Van Uden, and today I am joined by a very interesting guest, Kimberly Perez, who is a licensed mental health therapist. Um, She is the founder of Divine Mercy Counseling, and she's here today to discuss some topics related to mental health and the Catholic perception, the Catholic way to cope with all of these mental health related issues. Kimberly, thanks for being on. Thank you so much, Kristen. I'm I'm very grateful to, to be here with you this morning. Wonderful. So one of the reasons I wanted to discuss this topic is that the field of psychology and mental health is oftentimes seen as anti-Catholic even, or at odds with Catholic teaching. Some of the, the founders of the fields of psychology, even back to Freud and Jung, unfortunately had all of these very esoteric, atheistic ideas. And yet, Of course, Catholics are in great need of a lot of these services. So in the field today, I just was wondering if you could give us a brief overview of how Catholic mental health counseling and how this field differs from maybe the industry at large and an industry that especially it seems sometimes gears more towards even new age and other other things that Catholics just cannot touch and what exactly these services provide to Catholics that allow them to discover this field while working within the parameters of the faith?
1: Right. And Kristen, that's, that's a very good question. And I believe divine mercy is the heart of it all. And that's one of the reasons why I decided to name my practice, the divine mercy healing and counseling center. Um, that's the heart of the gospel Mm -hmm. you know his his grace and mercy needs to be a part of the care of human souls and once we remove him who is the divine physician Mm
2: -hmm.
1: we're at a loss so of course there is much value in different theories especially family systems etc etc and some modalities that um are extremely beneficial um but like you mentioned some of the theorists young freud and etc you know they themselves were trying to figure out their own lives Mm -hmm. as we all are no no one no one is 100 percent perfect only only god Um, you know but in that brokenness, in that woundedness, um, there's always an invitation to something more. Mm -hmm. And that invitation, that call is from the father. And the father is always drawing us near to his heart. Mm -hmm. And so after being you know, in the quote unquote secular world of mental health, which, you know, I, I could definitely be a therapist and, and preach Jesus without preaching Jesus, you know, right. just in my, in my actions and, you know, listening and being fully present, we can still bring Jesus to the world in mm-hmm. those ways, you know, in our silence, in the way we show Christ But it came to a certain point after, you know, 13, 14 years of, you know, the secular, you know, working in that environment, Mm -hmm. it's becoming so drenched and almost immersed in, you know, mindfulness, which is the aim is to empty yourself and fill yourself with yourself Mm -hmm. essentially (laughs) where in catholicism we have so many riches such as mental prayer um you know carmelite spirituality Mm -hmm. yes emptying of self is important but and this is something my spiritual director um, was speaking to me about you know i believe it was referring to saint john of the cross but If you have a glass of milk and it's full to the brim and you want to pour water in there, you can't. Mm -hmm. So you have to empty that cup of milk to allow Christ in. Mm -hmm. And so that's where Catholic therapy comes in. You, as the Catholic therapist, become a vessel, right? Kenosis, you know, that self-emptying love where there's no more me in the picture when I'm sitting with a client it's it has to be him if I'm too full with my own stuff I'm a very weak person
0: (laughs) I think maybe (laughs)
1: that's why I'm led to this work I'm very um and I'm I I I also love um father Henry now and um he's not a saint but I think he was a beautiful soul but he also he was a psychologist
3: mm-hmm. and
1: a priest, but he also struggled and you know his book on um, the wounded healer, you know Christ was a suffering servant, so I think that us as Catholic therapists, you know we're not perfect, you know we're also walking the way of the cross
3: mm-hmm. but
1: in that way we um I don't know if I'm saying too much, I can go no, on and great. on <laughs> <laughs> by all means you can cut me off um. <laughs> you know, our own woundedness, because we're all on the, that walk of the cross, right? That narrow way. Our own woundedness once, you know, we're empty and we fill ourselves with Christ, mm-hmm. then we can bring that light to others. You know, when I get out of the way
3: mm-hmm.
1: and he can be, He he can, you know, and I think that goes into the Eucharist and, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. Um, which is the, you know, the sacraments. Um, God could have decided to, you know, he became bread, right? Bread to be life for others. And Father Henry now speaks a lot about this. Um, he could have decided to come in the form of, you know, a big gem or something huge or majestic, but, he decided to come as a little 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 piece of bread something small so small that he can enter inside of me
2: Mm -hmm.
1: inside of my brokenness that's why we need to make sure our house is clean you know before (laughs) receiving him you know to welcome him but There's so much healing, you know, the Eucharist, he Mm -hmm. enters and becomes so small that he can enter into all of those broken parts of us that no one, no one, no one will ever be able to enter, Mm
3: -hmm. you know,
1: and that's, there's so much healing sitting, sitting with him, you know, when we're a mess and when we're broken on the floor in total despair, sitting with him you know, it's really, it's my goal. And the reason why I decided to step away, it was not really for me to be my boss. It was for Mm -hmm. Jesus to be my boss. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've been a boss before, but I'm like, (laughs) I don't want to be a boss. Like I I want him to be like Mm -hmm. the one that's telling me what to do and guiding me. And for that, you know, for, especially for those that are suffering, um, sometimes interior silence is difficult, Mm -hmm. you know, cultivating that, you know, those thoughts, you know, most of us out there, and this is, you know, I, I, I love EMDR, which is a modality we can talk about later, but, you know, those negative cognitive core beliefs, And usually for the most part, most of us believe that we don't matter
2: or that we're not good enough, Mm
1: -hmm. you know? And that's how the enemy works. Mm -hmm. He works in feeding you lies about your identity and who you are and whose you are, Mm -hmm. you know? Even in exorcisms. You know, God is still glorified there abundantly because it's a reminder of who is victorious over whatever ailment we're we're struggling with. You know, God is glorified, even even in an exorcism, Mm -hmm. because that ailment, that disturbance is kind of like a wake up type of thing, you know, that we need to pay attention to whatever or wound we have, which, you know, there's so many doors to that. Um, I, you know, I've worked with many different ailments and struggles, but my passion is working with survivors of sexual abuse,
3: mm-hmm.
1: emotional, physical, um, even narcissistic and psychopathic mm-hmm. abuse and, um, you know, our family systems, um, is so important and that goes into you know theology the body and our dignity um and when we feel like we're not good enough and when we feel like we don't matter we gravitate towards people that treat us Mm -hmm. like we don't matter or like we're not good enough so that's why we need to be you know if we're struggling with depression if we're struggling with anxiety or, you know, thoughts that I don't matter, combating those lies with scripture.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: in Psalm 139, you know, you created my innermost parts. You know, you, you knit me together in my mother's womb. But even, you know, some of us, may have been through such darkness that we cannot receive that. Mm -hmm. We cannot. Mm -hmm. So what do I tell my clients, which, you know, and and many of the individuals that I see struggle with this. They struggle with their identity in Christ. They even struggle with developing a relationship with Our Lady. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, there's a lot of talk about father wounds, but I don't see enough discussion about mother wounds. You know, there are many, many individuals that have been very much wounded by their mothers, um, and then they say, "Well, how can I go to Our Lady when my own mother?" Let's say the client says, "My mother." Let's say they say with narcissistic abuse, if their mother suffered with, you know, um, Mm -hmm. as we've talked about cluster B, you know, these. And again, I'm going to digress. There's a lot of individuals out there that talk about narcissism, but they may not fully have an understanding of what it, of what it is.
0: Right. It's good to define that. Oh, looks like you muted.
3: <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Just as we were... oh, I still can't hear you.
0: Can you hear me? Yes, that's better. <laughs> Just um, to get to the good stuff. I should have logged on on my phone. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, it might be and- helpful at this point to define what narcissism means in yeah. a sense.
1: Yeah, so narcissism is on a continuum. Just like we have, many of us are familiar with introversion and extroversion. So let's say Sally and Susie are both introverts. So one may be more introverted than the other. Same thing with extroversion. So when we have narcissism, that's on a, it's on a continuum. Mm-hmm. So some individuals, we all have a healthy level of narcissism. You know, I need to seek food. I need to seek shelter. And that goes into the developmental stages when we're growing up. So once when those traits are elevated in narcissism, that's when they become problematic when your behavior is harming others and harming yourself. So when we're speaking about unhealthy relationships, let's say you know, stemming from parents, um, those narcissistic wounds, let's say a narcissistic mother may have been very critical, may have been competing with the son or the daughter, um, may have minimized the son or daughter's Feelings, emotions may have had difficulty connecting with their daughter. So then, you know, if I'm sitting with a client, they may say, Oh, you know, everyone in my prayer group says I need to go to Our Lady and pray the rosary and do this, but I'm having difficulty. So we need to really dig deeper and look into that mother wound that they may have. Or if it's a difficulty with relating to Jesus, Looking at that that wound and an activity that I do with a lot of my clients that struggle with that is just starting with that. Let's mm-hmm. start cultivating. I may show them an image of mm-hmm. Christ. My absolute favorite image of Christ is with, um, you know, Jesus and the lamb. There are many different ones. I yeah, there are very that. many different ones. Yeah. And there's one that I absolutely love where he's just, you know, you could see the wound in, in his hands. So I, I give that image to my clients,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know, to invite them to daily mental prayer, meditation and silence. And I have them look at that image and just notice what's coming up for them as they see Jesus embracing the lamb. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I ask them to invite the Holy Spirit into the process and then, you know, to place themselves in the scene. And so that kind of can give me an assessment of where they are in their healing journey.
0: Right. Um, So much so much good stuff there. And one thing that I was meditating upon listening to you is how. I think one of the big differences between secular mental health profession and the Catholic understanding is the very concept of sin right? Because it seems that in the secular world, sin has been abolished. There's no such thing. All we have is affirmation and affirmation of something that's wrong is not going to help in the long run. It's not true charity. Of course, true charity is to bring the person to the truth and to to correct these sins if, if the sins are becoming a problem. So could you speak a little bit about how recognition of sin, especially original sin and the recognition of sin as one of the roots of our woundedness. And how that is not, that that is the first step recognition that sin and its wages in the world bring about all of this misery. And then how to bring that to the foot of the cross, how to give that to Jesus and use the sacraments, the sacrament of confession and the mm-hmm. healing from sin. That is really a, a spiritual um, process In order to solve some of these problems, because I think another topic that we wanted to touch on was um, telling the difference and discerning between something that is the fruit of sin versus something that's purely a psychological um, something of psychological origin. So, you know, it's a a big question, but (laughs) what is the role of the recognition of sin and of of reconciliation? Yeah. And although it's a big question, it's a very important
1: question. that that you've asked. So sin is usually rooted in love of self. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It's usually a drawing away from Christ, essentially. And there's a great book out there. I'm actually reading it currently, um, The Seven Deadly Sins um, by Dr. Kevin Vos, And he um, goes deeper into that. Um, So really looking at our inclinations, you know, is this behavior, is this inclination me drawing towards Christ or drawing away from Christ? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when we look at those seven capital sins, um, one of the primary ones is, is pride, vainglory. Um, and then we have envy, melancholy, anger, gluttony, avarice, you know, lust a lot, you know, there, there are a lot of struggles with lust out there,
2: Mm.
1: um, sex addiction, pornography addiction, and all of those things is in the self, everything centered around the self. And we have wounds, unfortunately, that, you know, if I'm working with a survivor of sexual violence or sexual abuse, met some of the side effects of sexual violence is promiscuity. Mm-hmm. So was that person at fault for being violated? No, never ever are they at fault never ever but you know again the abuser in their free will god never wishes bad upon us ever but he always uses it for our good he always transforms and redeems it so i may be getting off topic so you may have
0: to kind of reel me back in (laughs) This is good. That God transforms our woundedness, but through means that He has provided to us, right through our cooperation with His grace. Yeah, absolutely. And in reconciliation, in confession, um,
1: is so powerful. But also, a lot of you know, it's a can of worms. You know, we open up sometimes for our first time with a priest, Mm -hmm. our sin, our root sin and we receive the forgiveness. And some of us may feel consolation, some others don't, depending on, you know, their journey. So after reconciliation, it's helpful to have some accompaniment after that to cope with, I would say, especially shame. Mm -hmm. Some individuals struggle a lot with shame, you, you know, when revealing their sins. And then We can even go into scrupulosity when, you know, where there's this obsession of, you know, am I doing the wrong thing? Am I sinning? Oh, I'm not going to receive the Eucharist because I'm so bad. Again, I'm bad. I'm good. That black and white way of thinking um, is not from God. So the root of scrupulosity is pride. You know, on the outside and the exterior, it may seem. Oh, this person is is really holy, quote unquote. But really, it's a struggle with the sin of pride. Um, Saint Mother Teresa of Calcutta, um, whom I love so very much, um, there's a quote by her that says, um, "If you are humble, nothing will touch you. Mm. You know, neither praise nor disgrace." because you know what you are, you know, if you're blamed, you will not be discouraged. If they call you a saint, you won't put yourself on a pedestal. You're mm-hmm. just focused on Jesus. Um, okay. and he I love-
3: the, chosen, the truth.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I love the chosen. Um, That scene with Mary Magdalene, um, And it's so awesome because they show Mary bringing Mary Magdalene to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mary just, you know, she can't even look up. She's just so ashamed. And then Jesus is just continuing to encourage her. Look up. And she's like, no, I can't. I can't. Mm -hmm. Look up. Look at me. And that goes to scrupulosity. Any other sin, we may feel, oh, this is just too much. You know, this anxiety, I, I, I can't handle it. And that's true. You can't handle it. But Jesus can't.
0: Yeah, that's so true. Right? Is that when we try to do it ourselves? Of course, it's going to feel impossible, and of course, we're not going to succeed. And and it's really, I, I like framing it in giving up (laughs) and literally giving up and giving it all to jesus that's the only way forward which seems counterintuitive right
1: right and again looking at scripture one of the most beautiful verses and the simplest i would say Mm -hmm. is be still and know that i am god Mm -hmm. that I am God. And when we struggle with control, anxiety has a lot to do with control. You're almost being God because you believe that you can control everything in your life. And that goes into the root sense. But no, remember, he tells us, be still. Be still and know that I am God. Even just contemplating that
0: is so healing. Mm -hmm. And it's the great irony of humility is that in recognizing our own helplessness, that's when we truly are empowered in our identity in Christ and, and realizing that it's not through us, that it's through his grace, that we can actually act in accordance with, with what we're meant to do. It's it's fascinating. Uh, another topic I wanted to talk about is the problem of suffering, right? Because we all know that in our fallen states, suffering is inevitable. Utopia is not possible here on this earth, and only in heaven will we be perfectly happy. And so, right. this is something that often drives people away from God and the existentialists all hinge on this. I've been reading a, a Sophia book called The Gods of Atheism, where uh, you see the development of atheists, it often starts with this inability to understand suffering. So as Catholics, of course, we know that suffering can be efficacious. If we unite our suffering to Christ's suffering on the cross, we can actually gain merit this way, especially for souls in purgatory, and be generous in giving of our suffering, offer it up, is, is really the, the trite, simple, but very effective and true saying that we'll often hear. But there is also a difference between efficacious suffering and situations you need to get out of, right? So we have the problem of St. Rita, for example, who was suffered through an abusive marriage, and often people will, will cite her experience as a reason to stay with an abusive person, for example. So can you give us a little bit of a breakdown of how to know your limits with suffering and how to willingly take on the cross that Jesus has assigned you, pick up your cross and follow him, but also know what the accept, what the accepted boundaries are um, when, you know, setting boundaries in your own life and avoiding suffering as well.
1: Excellent example, especially with Saint Rita. Um, and I love Saint Rita, but when that's used to further isolate a survivor of abuse can be so harmful, mm-hmm. um, and yes, our sufferings have so much merit. And I love, love Saint Paul, um, and he can provide so much encouragement for you know those situations when it's when it when it's not relating to something unhealthy like that.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, but when we look at that question, when we look at submission. And not just St. Rita, oftentimes that passage in the book of Ephesians is very much misunderstood, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: where it says, you know, wives be submissive to your husbands, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not read in its entirety. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It also says for men to love their wives like God loves the church. Absolutely, The wife is the bride. Who is the bride? We are the bride. We are the church. So it's a mutual submission. It's not a one-sided submission. And again, looking at submission, what is submission? Mm-hmm. Submitting to the mission, submission. What is the mission of your partner? Is your partner in sin? Do we submit to sin as Catholics and Christians? No. So if you're being abused, if you're being violated, if someone's holding you up at gunpoint, raping you every evening, forcing you to have sexual relations, that is sinful. God never, ever invites us to submit to sin, ever. And anyone that says that is misinformed, Mm -hmm. greatly misinformed. Jesus always called us to rise. And again, men and women are abused. I have had cases where the woman is abusing the man emotionally, verbally, even physically, but that's not right ever. Jesus always called his people to rise and walk in dignity and in truth. Mm-hmm. St. Edith Stein or St. Benedict of the Cross. Truth and love. Always go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Jesus walked in truth. Jesus was meek and humble, but he walked in truth. He worked. He, he walked in a in a firm way. He was confident in who he was in the eyes of his father. And if we're in this situation, I am a daughter of the most high. I am a son of the most high. I am worthy to be treated with dignity. St. John Paul II, I love him. So, his work is so prevalent today, you know when we are seen as an object of use everything goes out the window mm-hmm. our call as christians and catholics is to live a life of love and work in and through that love that is the heart of the gospel in the heart of divine mercy what is divine mercy jesus reaches out into our brokenness brokenness into our weakness and darkness and he loves us there you don't have to be ashamed if you are listening to this and you are in darkness and you are curled up in shame blessed are you blessed are you because God is your light in that darkness He will be the only light you see. And that's why I love St. John of the Cross so much. Um, Because you can see the light so much clearer when it's dark. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, and in my experience, that's when he's there. You know, St. Faustina in her diary, um, you know, he would tell her, My daughter, when you're suffering, know that I'm near. I'm near in your suffering. You know, And St. Paul, in in the book of Philippians, um, where he says, for his sake, I count it all as loss. I count it all as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss
0: of all things. That's beautiful. And Jesus is always reaching out to us at every moment. No one is beyond his mercy. If only we would take his hand as it's offered to us. And I, I love how you've you've spoken to people who might be in that situation and it is true that this concept of shame keeps people away from the very thing that could cure that shame, right? And that's the lie of the devil. And uh, the spiritual warfare component to this, I I really love how you've touched upon that. As a priest friend told me the other day, the devil hates you. So why would you think as he does? (laughs) Right? And when we think of When we think of narcissists or other toxic people who are telling us lies about ourselves and trying to tear us down, they're really using what are literally demonic tactics. And this is the demon's role on earth is to get you to doubt your own identity and Christ's power to save you. Right. And so um, can you speak a little bit about how this is a spiritual battle that we face for our own souls, too?
1: Yes, 100 percent. So you can compare those lies of the enemy as the same tactic that's used in narcissistic and psychopathic abuse, Mm -hmm. that gaslighting. What you saw, you didn't see. What you heard, you didn't hear. So he works to confuse you in your identity. No, God doesn't say, you're this. You're this. You're a failure. You're never going to amount to anything. God hates you. Those are the lies of the enemy. And that's the same tactic yeah. that these abusers use. You know, it's so sad because we're children of God, but once we start going that way, we that abuser starts become becoming a children, a child of the darkness, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so they they attack your identity. And again, Psychopathology and narcissism, especially psychopathology, hides. And the enemy is great at thriving in what? In darkness. Mm -hmm. But when you expose the darkness, there's no power. Mm -hmm. Abuse thrives in darkness, in isolation, in shame. The tactics of the enemy thrive in isolation, shame. Do not remain isolated. Get connected to the community. Get connected to other people in the body of Christ that can remind you of who you are. Because when you're with an abuser, the only voice you're hearing is the voice of the abuser. It's hard to hear the voice of God, even if you're a person of faith. If you're married to an abusive person, sometimes it's hard to sit in daily mental prayer. You may have to, you know, maybe on your lunch break, sit in your car and have some silence with God before you go home. Because again, the most dangerous part in an abusive relationship is when you decide to leave or when you do leave. So, you know, Cultivating, you know, if you find yourself in this relationship, finding even five minutes of your day where you can cultivate a time where you can allow the voice of God to speak. And this goes will go into the St. Ignatius, you know, 14 rules of discernment,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um, which is really key in discerning um, between the different movements and try and identify whether it's something that's just psychological or something that may be from the enemy um, becoming familiar with those 14 rules of Saint Ignatius.
0: Yeah yeah that's let's take it there next before we briefly discuss the some practical ways to combat um, these attacks is how do we approach that period of discernment and what methods and what maybe even specific prayers should be used before someone may approach a therapist or approach a priest about a particular issue they may be having
1: yes so when it comes to how to invite christ into that into that healing I. Love cultivating silence. And if you have trouble cultivating silence, getting a spiritual director that can help you with that. And cultivating a routine of meditation, daily mental prayer, getting to know Jesus. Because in getting to know Jesus, we get to know, again, who we are, whose we are, praying the rosary, um, I would say the entire rosary, Mm
3: -hmm. not
1: just the decade. Mm
3: -hmm. And a lot
1: of us think, oh, you know, I don't have time to pray all the mysteries. But really, one mystery will take you maybe 15 minutes, 20 the max. So if you pray all the decades, you know, maybe an hour, an hour a day, you know, on your way to work, you can pray, one, you know, you begin with the Annunciation, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Maybe on your drive, on your way back home, you do the next mysteries. Yeah, subjectively the best way you can spend your time. <laughs> yeah. And then how can that help heal us? So especially some individuals that may be struggling with a father wound, you know, Mary can lead, can show them Jesus's life, and then they can start immersing themselves in the life of jesus and his humanity and how how he navigated things in his life and we can learn because you know he became man and dwelt among us
2: mm-hmm.
1: in the garden of gets you know jesus suffered he knows you know when he was in pizza he sweat blood he understands, you know, those sorrowful mysteries, and you know that school of divine providence and divine will, and um, sort of uh, uh, abandonment to divine providence. That book made a tremendous impact on my life, and it can make a huge impact on anyone that may be listening and struggling with that question of why me, God. Mm-hmm. Why? You know, I'm a good person. I go to church. I serve. Why am I suffering?
0: Yeah. And it's been really helpful for me to understand that Jesus went through not only the physical tortures, but these emotional and spiritual tortures through his passion, starting with, as you mentioned, the agony in the garden, where the primary pain that he experienced there was the betrayal of of his friends and also the loss of souls who still after his sacrifice would still turn away from him and refuse to accept his grace and how uh the the thought of those lost souls really tortured him and he was rejected by his own people where we don't think about that part of the passion so often but he was humiliated um just meditating on the crowning with thorns that was a mockery and just so unjust because it is literally he is king of the universe and they they mocked him in that identity and so he understands all types of suffering to a deep and perfected degree beyond physical suffering obviously yeah Love itself was not loved. And and I think it
1: was St. Margaret that may have talked about that, but he suffered so much rejection. You know, the one that was used to put him to death sat and ate with him at his table. And how many times does that happen to us? Mm -hmm. You know, the people we we love and and we share joys with and walk through life with hurt us and they may not intend on doing it but we're flawed we we sin um and of course we're we're not jesus you know but we can really take solace in his companionship where In our pain, you know, St. Teresa of Avila, um, you know, and in in her writings, it's almost like an immersion into his humanity, Mm -hmm. you know, in in our pain and our suffering. Um, And what a grace, you know, a lot of times, especially in this world we live in, um, adulation and admiration and success and fame is valued, but blessed are you, you know, if if you're suffering, blessed are you. It's a huge grace to be there when we cooperate with that great grace and don't give in to despair, which oftentimes I'm also very passionate about the prevention of suicide.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, and
1: suicide, and we say death by suicide because it wasn't a crime. I, it's like chalk, you know, nails going down a chalkboard when I hear someone say commit suicide because, it's, no, they didn't commit a crime. They died by something. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dr. Thomas Joyner, um, he's in Florida State, um, is really big on that. But suicide, it's giving into despair. It's giving into that hopelessness where my death is worth more than my life, which that goes into Dr. Joyner's interpersonal theory of suicide. But we combat that with God's truth. No, my life is worth something. My life is made to magnify Christ and he will take my suffering and redeem it. And when someone is in that dark place, You can't see that. So us as the body of Christ, we need to equip ourselves in ways on how can we respond to these people that are suffering, that are in darkness, Mm -hmm. instead of naming this. And I can't stand this when many clients say that, oh, I have to pray more novenas or I have to pray more rosaries and then no, divine mercy as a way of life and meeting people where they are. Um living the message of divine mercy um, by Brian Thatcher. Okay. Um, and making it our way of life. Mm-hmm. As a response to a wounded and very hurting and suffering church at times.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a great way of framing it as a way of life because mental health is just like prayer not a band-aid not a solution to be taken on like once and every couple months and then oh you're fine for a few months and then you come back and check back in with your mental health no the the key is consistency right and and checking in with ourselves every day and because it's easy Uh, as you alluded to before that living for worldly standards and what the world prizes as good is going to make us miserable in the long run, but those temptations are there every day, even in things that appear to be beautiful by the world standards to slowly pull us away from God until you wake up one day and find yourself in despair And you're like, how did I get here? I was pursuing all of these, all of these shiny things, but that's how insidious it it works. Uh, The enemy is constantly trying to pull us away from God with any little strings that he can. And over time that amounts to something big and you don't want to be catching it when it gets to something big, right? You want to be catching it every day and um, using these methods every day to be able to make sure that you're, you're staying on the narrow path with Jesus. So to wrap things up, I wanted to just ask your advice for our listeners on maintaining mental health and just like maintaining a prayer routine, what are some methods you would recommend as routines? And I know um, there are certain therapies we've discussed like EMDR, and maybe we can save that for the next time. But what, what are some of these practical tips that we should be implementing as habits and forming as habits just as we form the habits of prayer?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, I would say a key word is perseverance. So, mm-hmm. if you fall, I love the analogy of, of boxing, I think it's really um, relevant to mental health and the spiritual world. It doesn't matter that you fell back, you know, you fell fell down, you got knocked out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The important thing is you dust yourself off and you get back up. You get back up. Um, Venerable Bruno Terry spoke a lot about that. Today I begin again. So if you fell today, be at peace. The enemy's primary goal always, is to take away your peace. So in any circumstance, you fall, be at peace, remind yourself, God is with me. Get back up and begin again. You may perhaps maybe write down, start small. Don't put 50 things you want to do Maybe two things, okay? Mm-hmm. If I'm depressed, first thing to start off with may be today I'm going to open up the blinds in my bedroom. It may just be that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Today, instead of staying in my pajamas all day, I'm going to put on clothes and I'm going to brush my teeth and I'm going to comb my hair. Even
3: if it's small. You cannot overwhelm yourself and be at peace.
1: That is the spiritual battle. Lorenzo Scupoli talks about it. That is the goal, maintaining your peace, always. If, you know, the enemy's on a short leash, Mm -hmm. he's on a very short leash. You know, he's all, he's all bark. He cannot harm you when God is with you.
0: That's exactly right. And that's what it all comes back down to is remembering who God is and who you are, who and whose you are, as you've mentioned. So thank you so much for joining me, Kim. I know we're running up against the hour here. I feel like we could talk from hours so I'd like sometimes to have you back on the podcast or have another article featured from you
1: absolutely
0: thank you so much Chris Kristen it's been a pleasure and a blessing to be with you wonderful so listeners we'll make sure to link Kim's resources in the podcast description and keep an eye out for more work from her in uh, the months to come and we'll check in with you next time